across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pies. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour, an hour of food and drink news and features from around the city and South Cambridgeshire. With me, Sue Bailey. And me, Matt Benman. Our colleague Alan Alder is away on holiday at the moment, but he will be back next time. So what have we got cooking today, Sue? Well, there's a change of the guard at a popular Cambridge deli. We talk wild cleaver coffee with a foraging chef, check out a bit of good old community spirit and delve into the city's past to find streets in Cambridge that are named after food sold in them. And local food and drink news, free food and jobs. OK, so let's begin with Mule Mill Road. I can't even say the word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I paid a visit to Limoncello, the Italian delicatessen, because the owner, Steve Turville, has stepped down after running Limoncello a quarter of a century. I wanted to meet the new boss and see what changes might be taking place. So I met him early one Sunday morning before the rest of his staff turned up. He was kneading the hell out of some pizza dough. You see how relaxed it is. Yeah, it's a beautiful product. And we use 100% Italian flowers and Italian salt. Our biggest thing is regulating the temperature of the water that goes in. That's the biggest factor in making pizza dough, is you have to have the right temperature on the water. As the yeast starts activating, it'll end up being too hot. And what happens then is you lose the elasticity. And when you're shaping the pizza dough, you'll get holes. So you have to try and fix the holes, so... It doesn't look so relaxed now, does it? <laughs> After we messed around with it. <laughs> I was looking online, like little 101 sheets, how to start your own deli. Because oh. I was just thinking, you're so young. You're, you're 27, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah 27. Yeah. How did you know that? Now I went on to Company's house and I checked out Limoncello and oh, I yeah. saw that <laughs> Steve was officially off the books as of 31st of August. That's right, yeah. And you, you had taken over. It's a lot to take on for someone with such young shoulders. Well, my background has always been in this industry. So I trained as a chef for three years and then worked at a high-end hotel yeah. for six. Then came here and figured out the business side of running a restaurant and, and Delhi was extremely interesting. So I dedicated all of my spare time. How can I make this place more attractive for people? Well, to start with, they've put in a big outdoor eating space. So you call this the Sunset Garden, yes? Yes, yeah. It's lovely during the summer just to sit and catch the golden hour of sunset. Having an Aperol Spritz is pretty special, to be quite honest, and we don't get much noise from the road out the front. You know, when I was last here, which was a few years ago, there was no garden to speak of. Is this your idea? No, so it was actually the previous owner Steve's idea. I did lend a helping hand during the first lockdown. Following that, we had Eat Out to Help Out, which was a huge eye-opener for us. We got slammed with people that saw us on Instagram. That was our only form of advertising at the time. And here we are today. 
Because Limoncello for many years has been a deli. It was the food side of the business that we spent a lot of time building up and redeveloping in order to give customers what they were asking for post-COVID, which is the outside dining. It was huge for us. It was the only reason why we managed to keep going from strength to strength through the past two years. This is a hell of a time to be taking over as new manager, you know, where we are in 2022. Yeah, quite a privilege to be able to take over from Steve whilst also maintaining the same product moving forward and what everyone knows and loves about us. So nothing will change, is what I'm trying to say. And that's quite often the worry. People say, oh, now you've bought the place, what are you going to do to it? Well, you say there's been no change. Here I am today and it feels like there's been plenty of, like you say, not so much change, but addition. People think of limoncello, they think of delicatessen, but now it's delicatessen and an eatery. Yeah. People can come here for lunch, for dinner. Uh, just thinking of a few examples of the kind of things that are on your menu. Well, our flagship dishes are really truffle-based. We get a year-round supply direct from Italy. Naturally, wintertime is the biggest season for truffles. We get the winter blacks in and they are truly outstanding. But we have a really high-quality producer-gatherer of spring and summer truffles. So our truffle tagliatelle is, is our number one dish on the menu. It flies out the door. We often get tables of four to six that just order four truffle tagliatelle. We've always done pizza. I was in at eight this morning making pizza dough. Probably half of our restaurant sales is pizza and different pizza by comparison to our friends on, on Mill Road and down Mill Road. Whatever you want to do, believe it. Play the game of belief. And it will happen. Believe you me. Belief in the product. If you start with a fantastic product, it's very hard to mess it up. We have the power of the internet at our fingers now. 25 years ago when Steve started the business, he didn't have that. It was the hard graft and the hard grind. If I need an answer to something, if we need a new fridge, I can have it here tomorrow. The idea of taking on a business in this time is a lot more attractive than it was back in mid-1990s. When I first spoke to Steve, 11 or 12 years ago, I think he told me how he would travel back and forth to Italy when it came to sourcing products and making agreements, friendships, forming business friendships. Is that sort of thing still as important now? Or is it all established through what Steve has set up over the years? What we have now is a new challenge with Brexit. So what we're finding is those small producers that we'd get niche products from direct from Italy are now not sending to the UK. They'll send to the rest of Europe, but they won't send to the UK. But what we've noticed is the larger companies that are the biggest importers, they're now sourcing those smaller producers through them. Yeah. So that's the change we've seen. I am looking forward to going over to Italy and seeing some of the producers' warehouses. But yeah, certainly getting those smaller niche products is a lot more difficult than it used to be. Those companies that have made the effort to adapt, so our truffle company, for example, we get those direct from Italy flown in. They used to take pre-COVID, you'd order them, they'll be here next day. During COVID and Brexit, sometimes they wouldn't show up. They'd come four or five days later. They would be no good, they would go soft, the fragrance would disappear. And now we're getting back to a more steady supply of those niche products. That is only down to those individual suppliers. There's nothing, it's not down to us at all but it's down to the individual suppliers working out how they can do it. So the ones that are proactive, they're still coming through quite strong. We have a, a company 
that now goes through Ireland to come to the UK. So that works for them. Yeah. Takes a bit longer, but a lot of the products generally cured meats and cheeses are vacuum packed anyway. So, and dried products from Italy. I mean, you can never get enough Italian tomatoes. So any tomato products from Italy are. They're always hot. They always sell. They're just in fantastic products. We have a, a lovely couple who, unfortunately, they, they've been coming to us for probably a good five or six years. Sadly, now they moved to the Cotswolds. They came in one day and wanted to take a picture of the old metal swinging sign that we had on. So in the end, I just gifted it to them. They sent me a picture the following week in their new house and it's mounted on the wall in between two lights. <laughs> it just sums up how much they value us as much as we value them. Yeah. Shall we have a walk through to the front of the shop? Because I'm aware that you're going to have to be opening soon. Yes, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so here we are in the bit that everybody is familiar with. This is the, mm. the, the front area of Limoncello. Now, there's plenty more. Even now, the last time I was here, yeah. you had a bar on this side. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you can sort of see the remnants of it with the sockets on the wall, and that's where we had people having coffee and working. Um, now we're more of a sit-down eatery and deli, so there's still essence of the past, which is quite nice, and we try to keep it as rustic as we can. Even where we're standing, you used yeah. to have multiple chillers where people could pick out types of olives and so on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, no, but as we move towards the more need for inside dining during the winter months, we had to remove... They were quite bulky, if they you were, remember. Yeah. yeah, they were yeah. quite large. And they worked extremely well for when we were just a deli, but now we've had the, a new, new olive and pesto bar, so we're still selling the same products, but we've just had a little shuffle around. Yeah. So people can still shop in the deli while people are eating. Now, just thinking, as a food and drink programme, we've mm. really covered very little of the food and drink available here at <laughs> Limoncello. Yeah. Is there a few items here that you'd like to champion, anything that you're quite proud of, or, or perhaps even new products that have appeared in the last year or so? Well, we've struck a deal with an importer who's got us a new brand of sausage, Italian sausage that we use in the kitchen at the moment, for our pizza and truffle tagliatelle. And just by switching the sausage, this has been completely elevated. That's one of the biggest changes in the past, uh, I think, three weeks, to be quite honest. It was quite, quite a recent deal that we had um, struck with them, and that, that's going to be moving forward long-term. Weirdly enough, dried wild oregano, all up on the shelves here. It was a product that we got in just as a tester, you know, two or three bunches hanging up. And we found that there was actually quite a big demand for it, so we, we, we opened one up, and the aroma is completely different to oregano as you know it. Oh, yes. It's yeah. completely different. So having, again, another product that is slightly out there, again, giving people something slightly different to, to buy and take away with them. Such a great product as well. Yeah. I'm familiar with it myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it doesn't look like much, but it has no, such it a strong, potent effect. Yeah. And you'd be kind of hard-pressed to go back to normal oregano that you would get anywhere else mm. once you've tried this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate, I appreciate it's on the more expensive side than just buying a jar of dried oregano or even growing oregano in your garden. Mm. But a fantastic aroma that it does give to sauces and, and dishes as well. Earlier on this year, we imported a good hundred bottles of these really quaint Joya Luisa limoncello. Mm -hmm. So it's one of the bottles we sell a lot of during gifting season, so when people are buying for birthday presents, Christmas presents. But it's extremely difficult to get hold of. Again, we have to import 
10 cases, 20 cases a time just to get it into the country. It was held up in customs for eight weeks. So those are some of the nicer products that we have and that are unique to us. We have quite a range of limoncello. We use these large two litre formats in the restaurant. We do a lot of limoncello spritz and it's quite nice to see that cocktail popping up in other restaurants yeah. in Cambridge and Cambridgeshire now. So we were the first place to start doing it and now it's being added to menus all over Cambridge, which is really quite nice and, and just... And it uh, spreads your name around further as well. That's what I'd quite like. If, if people say limoncello, they automatically think of us rather than the liqueur. Yeah. That would be the goal. It's a long way away, but that would be the goal. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not power. Ah, yes, yes. Yeah. So moving towards Christmas time, we often place orders July, August, ready for delivery end of October, November. We've just completed our Panatoni order. We've got a thousand coming in. We did the same last year. A nice product to also incorporate into the restaurant. So we've got Panatoni pudding, is an adaptation of bread and butter pudding. Very hearty, very well loved. Yeah, the thousand Panatoni. Storing them is a nightmare, but displaying them is fun. We have huge displays in the window. Of, last year we did a stack of, it looked like a Christmas tree of panettone and hanging from the ceiling. Give a nice Christmassy vibe. We shouldn't really be talking about Christmas already though. But we've got a lot of nice new products coming in this year, early October, ready for the Christmas rush. But no, it'll be fun. Well, Luke, it's been great chatting to you. Limoncello is one of the stalwarts of Cambridge mm. now, really. Yes, yeah, no, us... Balzano's have been here for a while in mid, I think end of 80s they started. So we've been here for a while and long may it continue, another 25 years and we'll see you again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks very much, Luke. Oh, you're welcome, thank you. And you're listening to Flavour on Cambridge 105 Radio. Yeah, that was Luke Taylor, the new owner of Limoncello on Mill Road. You know, he's got such belief in his product. He's so confident as well. And I don't mean arrogance, I just simply mean... You know, he's confident in his plans, where he's going with the place. Now, incidentally, Steve Turville, Limoncello's founder, is currently retraining as an an electrician so that he can wire up the house that he's building, just so you know what a guy who sells his deli is up to these days. Now, details of free food available in and around Cambridge. The information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app, which exists so that people's or businesses' surplus food doesn't go to waste. Yeah, and looking at Olio today, we can see that Ro, who lives on Pern Road, has a jar of capers to give away. She says she's opened the jar, but capers really aren't her thing. So maybe they're yours. Jen, next to Cherry Hinton Park, has a few packets of sushi ginger available. Anthony on Addenbrooke's Road is giving away freshly cut bay leaves because his tree is getting out of control, he says. And that's great because a small box of bay leaves, they're not really cheap, are they, Sue? And you won't get any fresher than this either. Now, meanwhile, Emily has about 15 bags of ginger lemon tea free to a good home. When I say 15 bags, I mean 15 individual tea bags. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but I tend to drink specialist teas like this a bit sparingly. So, say, once every 200 normal tea bags. So I'd say that this is still worth the time collecting. And now there's also some good stuff that has just gone. Friday night seems to be a key time for Olio, and Madeline, who is up near Barnwell Road, is an Olio food hero. That means she's someone who is recognised as going the extra mile for their community. Now, last night, Madeline collected a whole load of unsold food from Pret-a-Manger, free for collection from her place, 
All you had to do is check her list of what she's got, say what you want, and then go and pick it up. And that list was full, really full of various baguettes, sandwiches, wraps, salads, all with different fillings, chicken, tuna, salmon, tomato, brie, prosciutto, avocado. You get the idea. Fill your boots and save a packet. That is what you can do with the Olio app on your phone, and it is free to install. And there's another free app called Too Good To Go. It has unsold food from restaurants and shops, often at less than half price. Rather than specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag, ready for you to take home instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading. And to mention here, the Cambridge Community Kitchen, they will provide two hot meals a week on request on Thursdays and Sundays for those who are in the city and can't afford to feed themselves. Now, they can be collected from the Lock-On, which is at 1112 Fair Street. That's near the Grafton Centre. Or it can be delivered to the CB1 to CB5 postcode areas. Cambridge Community Kitchen are on Twitter, at Cam Community, and you can place your request there. And they always need volunteers to help them with these deliveries too. Their Twitter account links to their website for more details. On to our first news break now. Starting with Thin Boy's Fish Butchery at Two Mill Road. They're stocking John Dory, Cornish Crab, Mackerel, Red Mullet and plenty more. They're currently busy working with Cambridge white merchants, Thirsty and Liberty Wines to launch a new wine list at the end of this month. In October, they're planning workshops that include shucking oysters, recipe follow-along sessions and fast food pop-up style events like burgers and tacos evenings. Now, these are member-only events. So how do you become a member? Well, you just subscribe to the Finn Boys newsletter via their website. They've also reintroduced fish boxes where you order from their site and you'll have that fresh fish order delivered to you. And that order can include anything from Finboys, not just fresh fish. So deli items, sauces and so on. Co-Farm, the community farm just out past the big Sainsbury's on Coldham's Lane is looking for volunteers to do watering, weeding or planting. There are sessions on Tuesday evenings, Thursday afternoons and Sunday afternoons. You can sign up via the volunteer tab on the Co-Farm website. Now, Transition Cambridge have started hosting an environmental discussion reading club. Well, it's a book club, essentially, but about sustainability, climate and nature. It's run via Zoom, the online video chat service. Their next date is 18th October, where they'll be reading together A Manifesto Against the Heartless World by Echi Temel Kuran. You can sign up for the book club and get the Zoom link via the website eventbrite.co.uk and search for Transition Cambridge and make sure to filter your search to online events. Yeah, and keeping it online, how about this? There is a free talk. It's called Who Owns Cambridge? It's by author Guy Shrubsole, who wrote the book Who Owns England? And he says that it could really shed some light on who owns what, how the land is used, the sustainability implications, what's actually grown around us and why. To register for this talk, you again simply check out eventbrite.co.uk and search for Who Owns Cambridge. Well, Cambridge Community Kitchen have just launched their new posters, appealing for volunteers to join them in the run-up to winter, with the increased demand for meals. As the poster says, many are facing the choice between heating and eating in Cambridge, and the demand for their meals, even now, already high. So if you think you can help, please get in touch with them at cckitchen.uk. Meanwhile, if you're a shop, cafe, college or you run a community organisation, then you can request posters from Cambridge Community Kitchen to put up and help spread the word. 
Cambridge City Council has announced that it will match public donations to Cambridge Sustainable Foods' Cost of Food and Living Crisis campaign. They're going to match up to the value of £10,000 by the end of this month. Now, this money the council will put forward comes from their anti-poverty responsive budget, and in turn, everything that's raised will go towards helping community groups, such as Cambridge Community Kitchen, for example, and local food hubs, funding food and cooking equipment like energy-efficient slow cookers for those that need them. There were over 20,000 visits to food hubs last year, and that number is only going to go up, says Councillor Alex Collis, who has spoken several times on Flavour, actually. Uh, If you'd like to be part and make a donation that the council can match, then there is a GoFundMe page online. It's called Cambridge Cost of Food and Living Crisis Campaign. Now, so far, they have raised half of their goal, and that hopefully should pick up steam in its closing days because, well, every donation now will be worth double. There's a good page on the County Council's website. It's called Food Help and it's a single page containing several links such as how to get free holiday lunches for children, holiday childcare with free meals, vouchers for fruit, veg and milk and a link to all Cambridge's food hubs and food banks, links also to supermarket vouchers, even Olio, the app we mentioned every episode which helps you get free food. It's all on this page. So for all of this and more, just get online to cambridge.gov.uk and type food help into the search bar. It could save you quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, In other news, the Devonshire Arms has been tweeting about its new menu. So if you're in the mood for a bit of something different, how about checking out what they're serving on Devonshire Road? And that's just off Mill Road, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know. So here's a few examples. They are doing deep-fried brie with Cumberland sauce, squid rings, buttermilk chicken supreme with fries and curry sauce, and grilled halloumi burgers with peppers and sweet chilli. Their kitchen is open until 9 tonight, that's if you're listening to our live Saturday show, and Tuesdays to Fridays, it's open from 4 till 9pm. Well, a bit of a tenuous food link here, but there's a repair cafe being held on the 15th of October in St Andrew's Hall on Chesterton Road. Whether it's a dearly departed toaster, radio, iron, kettle or a blender, you can take it to the cafe and get it repaired. You'll need to sign the booking form, though, which you can do online if you head on to Twitter and search for Cambridge Carbon Footprint. Booking means you give them info such as the make and model of what you need repaired, so for their specialists will be prepared for when you turn up on the day. And you're going to use this service, aren't you, Matt? Oh, yeah, I've got a dead toaster. Um, the lever won't stay down. Ah, right. So I have to stand there every time I want to make toast With and just hold it, it down. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> or balance something on it, which sounds... a bit dangerous. So yeah, time to get it fixed, I think. Yes, rescue it. (laughs) Well, let's move on to our next feature now. And if you go down to the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise. It's Steve Thompson, the foraging chef. Steve, you've had an interesting summer with a couple of pop-ups, I believe. Tell me more. I see. Yeah, we've done a couple in the last two weeks, which have been really good fun. It's nice to get back on go again. It's our first ones of the year, really. So we did a really fun one up with Kong up at Amphora on Devonshire Road. And then we had a big one on Sunday just gone up at Bar Hill. So we're definitely going to come back again. We'll be doing lots more. We'll certainly do more in the area. We're back available for private bookings and things like that again and small events. It's nice to be back on the road again. And are you still doing your foraging walks? Yes, we are. Basically, we're getting this lovely rain now, aren't we? A bit of rain and a bit of warmth. That should start to bring the mushrooms up. There's not been a huge amount of signs of life around Cambridgeshire of them yet. They are just starting. I've seen a lot of people saying that the beefsteak funguses are up and things like that, and they're finding chicken of the woods on oak again. So, yeah, now's the time to get out and start looking. 
given the fact it's been so dry, you'd normally be expecting like elderberries. They are looking very shriveled at the moment. Yeah, so the elderberries, they have definitely seen the effects of the dryness this year. They aren't as abundant. You'll find them they're shriveled on the plant a lot. But what I have found is that in areas where they're getting enough water, so near streams and things like that, they're actually absolutely enormous this year and really quite juicy. Oh, that's very good advice. I wouldn't have thought of that. So keep an eye out on areas that you can tell are well watered and things like that, and the elderberries are still looking good, so you can get your Pontac sauces made up and everything like that and get them preserved for winter. You were mentioning about acorns. Remind me, what can you do with an acorn and is it worth it? <laughs> well, right, they're two very different questions. So acorns for me, have got a wonderful butterscotchy flavour to them and they really are worth doing something with. You will probably disagree with me once you've done something with them because it is very laborious and labour intensive to get it done. So with acorns, they are very laborious to prep. You've got to leach them and get all the tannins out. There's plenty of YouTube videos and recipes on Google on how to do it. But once you have done it, you will thank me because afterwards you dry them out and have flour and things like that. They've got a wonderful butterscotchy flavour. They're really good in cakes and things like that. I wouldn't necessarily say bread is the key, but I would say putting a few handfuls into your sticky toffee pudding and things like that is very, very worth it. Acorn sticky toffee pudding is one of my favourite things in the world. And people used to, was it coffee? Yeah, it's another one of those coffee substitutes that are called coffee substitutes. And for me, it's more just a bitter warm drink. So things like dandelion roots, cleaver seeds are a really good one as well acorns you can do it acorns not bad to make an acorn coffee but to be honest out of all of them the cleaver seeds is my favorite that's interesting i never thought of using those yeah if you take the cleaver seeds off i mean they're just gone now so that's kind of a thing for like last Mm. month but yeah roast them all off dry them out grind them up a little bit and make coffee out of them and they actually contain caffeine as well Really? So, yeah, when the uh, zombie apocalypse comes and you need your caffeine fix, it's cleaver seeds. Oh, fair enough. So you're saying mushrooms are going to be coming up fairly soon? Yeah, I'm expecting to start seeing them now. Now we're getting the rains and stuff, and I was just having a walk around the fields before I came here, and the ground is finally starting to feel like the rain might be soaking in rather than just sitting on the surface as well. It's, it is still quite surface level. It's going to take a good few weeks to get back to what I'd expect at this time of year, but it's starting heading that way so we'll be going out this afternoon and starting looking at our beefsteak spots and start looking on all the oak trees basically for them and chicken of the woods what did you call steak spots beefsteak fungus oh, yeah beefsteak spots yeah, yeah so beefsteak fungus spots so we'll be checking on the back of oak trees and things like that often facing away from the paths we find them so yeah we'll be going and having a check will you be doing some foraging walks involving mushrooms do you think yes as soon as they start to come up and show we'll be doing them definitely yeah they'll be great fun we'll be really looking forward to those steve thank you so much i'll be looking forward to hearing more about your foraging walks in our october chat Mm. Beefsteak fungus and chicken of the woods mushrooms that live on oak trees. All great names. You didn't really sell me on the acorns, what with all the work involving bleaching out the tannins, but those juicy elderberries by the rivers and streams do sound great. And if you'd like to go on one of Steve's foraging walks, attend one of his pop-up evenings, or while dining private events, they're all available to book via his website, theforagingchef.co.uk. Okay, we're going to take a short break now and we will be back in two minutes. Cambridge 105 Radio. 
On Cambridge 105 Radio, Gadget Guide gives you a download on the world of tech. Rob Chipperfield and Lawrence Michalif take you through streaming TV services, the latest releases from Apple and Google, and everything you need to get the best out of working from home. Digital assistants are helping us to do more in our homes. Does your light bulb respond to voice commands yet? Cambridge Technology Company, Rosbury Pie, have some news. Gadget Guide, Monday at 6, online and on Cambridge 105 Radio. Are you suffering from buffering? Find yourself screaming, not streaming? Or do you just lag behind? Then it's time to demand better broadband. City Fibre is building a brand new full fibre network across the UK, giving you access to broadband from a range of providers that's more reliable and up to 20 times faster than average. So you can stream, game and video call without interruption. Get connected to Full Fibre today. Choose your provider at cityfibre.com slash Cambridge 105. CKLG Accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Lawrence, Director of CKLG, responsible for business services. We understand that running a successful business brings many challenges. Our experienced business services team provide a bespoke service and offer professional advice at every stage of your business journey, allowing you the freedom to focus more on what you do best. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk cklg accountants your partner in business your partner in life cambridge 105 radio welcome back to flavor food and drink for the city in south cambridgeshire now with energy bills and food costs rising more people are depending on food banks and hubs in the city in turn others are finding ways to help out as best they can the other week I was hanging around in an area where my injunction doesn't operate and I found a couple running a pop-up fruit stall in their street in aid of their local food hub. Hi, I'm Steve. And I'm Susan. We're living in Kinhead Way, just off Queen Edith's Way. We're selling fruit today. What would you like? <laughs> Some the apples, please. Yeah, which apple would you like? Uh, the Discovery. So well, we've got three different apples at £2 a kilo, these have the discovery. The discovery. Yeah. And these are local residents have donated these actually okay. from their garden, so they're only okay. a pound a kilo if you want any of those. Yes. So in addition to um, buying our fruits fresh from Heath Fruit Farm, mm-hmm. um, we also have some fruits donated by our local neighbours. It's been great. We have a lot of support from our neighbours. Yeah. We do this every Saturday, 2 o'clock, to make money for the charity. All our local neighbours come around and buy fresh fruit at a good price and uh, contribute to the food hub. That's right. All the profits that we make from this stall goes to the Queen Edith Food Hub. After lockdown, we were surprised to see long queue outside the church at Wolston Way. For us, that was quite a shocking sight to see because we thought we live in Queen Edith and it seems like a, a well-to-do area. Yeah. So we were very shocked to find this queue of people queuing for food and we wanted to do something to help. Two, so, two years ago, wasn't it? During, yes. during the lockdown, the very first lockdown from COVID, Martin Roach on Hills Road started this mm. food stall, a pop-up fruit stall, 
He started that in aid of to help the farmer because the farmer that grows the food was struggling to have an outlet during the lockdown because the markets had closed and so on and so on. Mm. So it helped him to get rid of his fruit and help the local community buy their local fruit without having to go to the supermarket and risk getting contaminated with COVID at the same time. Mm. And also help the local food hub at Queen Edith's. Yes, we start at two o'clock. The stall will be here till we run out. Mm. If we are not here, we normally just leave an honesty box. We started doing this again last year. So now there's the two fruit stalls here in Kinedway and the one on Hills Road. The neighbourhood has been really supportive. Not only do they come and buy the fruits, a few of them also donate extra cash, which all helps towards the food hub. And last year we raised about £500. Are you uh, food enthusiasts yourselves in any way? Or like eating you... food, yeah. I eat some every oh, day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I'm from Singapore, yeah. so we love our food. We yeah. like good food, so <laughs> especially food. fruits. No, but we do like our fresh fruits. And it's really nice being involved with this pop-up store because it means that we could try bigger variety of fruits than what we normally get from the supermarket. Mm. So, for instance, I mean, I've never seen red gauges until we started doing this. Yeah. And we have had quite a different variety of plums as well as gauges and apples that we don't normally see in supermarket it's um, juicy and sweet a dessert gauge they look more like plums don't they little plums they're very similar to plums in, in texture and mm. taste i think yeah and the fruit changes through the season obviously so yes. at the beginning we had apricots and cherries, which were, and, cherries and they were very popular <clears throat> so mm-hmm. sweet and juicy and all local as well I and presume. yes all from this mm-hmm. Heath Fruit Farm. Heath Fruit Farm. So today we've got green gauges, mm-hmm. really sweet and intense. And actually they keep, if they're a bit hard, they'll keep in the fridge and, and ripen over time and the sweetness really comes out once they're slightly softer. Earlier on we had yellow gauges as well, but I think it's probably the last of the gauges, maybe next week. And then we've got two types of damsons, slightly bigger Merryweather damsons, which you can eat fresh. They're a bit sharp, ideally for cooking. They need a bit of sugar, I think. And the Shropshire, Shropshire prune damsons, they're really for cooking. But they make um, very good but jam. The, the, they an, yeah, they've got really good flavour. When they're cooked and the sweetness comes out, it makes good jam. Or infused vodka. Or, <laughs> yes, yes. One of our resident, our local customers, customers from last year yeah. bought Oof. lots of damsons and made some delicious damson vodka. vodka. Oh. And she gave us a little bottle to try out. You have to leave it for several months to develop. Mm. And, uh, oh, that was delicious. Yes. We've got the recipe thank from you, her. Ruth. So thank you for that, Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to try it. So if you like sweet vodka, try that recipe with some damsons in it. And we've got these Count Oldham gauges, kind of reddish, yellowish, they look very similar in colour to the Victoria Plumbers, which we've got next door here. Mm. So these are bigger than the green gauges, round gauges, and they're very sweet as well. And then we've got Victoria Plums. This week we've got three types of apple, all eating apples, Laxton Fortunes, Discovery, and Lord Lambourne. Um, we did have Bramley's cooking apples last week as well, but I think a lot of people have got Bramley's apples in their gardens around here, so they didn't sell very well. These eating apples are more popular. And then actually a couple of residents donated some apples from their own garden. One's a discovery. I've no idea what the other type is. We picked those this morning from their garden. So thank you very much for those. Yes, (laughs) thank you very much. Helena, Sanjay and Dick Martin. Yeah. Who donated the apples and pears. Yeah, that's very (laughs) kind of them. 
And you also have apple juice. And yes, this is using Crispian apples. Again, Heath Fruit Farm make their own apple juice, and that's a really tasty apple juice. Cloudy apple juice. It looks grand. I think we've nearly run out of that, I think. Makes it a towards the end of the season with the apples that are left over and uh, then sells it the following year, I think. Mm. Anyway, good <laughs> afternoon. Hello. How are you? We're good, thank you. We're great. We I better put my glasses on so I can actually see what's going on. Late, especially for you. <laughs> okay, so. No pl oh, plums, yes, there are plums. Yes, I've got, got Victoria plums. plums. And there's okay. a few green gauges left. They're really sweet green gauges. Um, green Four gauges days. and some Victoria plums, please. Yeah. Okay. That's wonderful. Great. Fair exchange is no so robbery. <laughs> <laughs> do you do anything particularly with the fruit other than just eat it? Does it go into cakes? Or? I, I eat it. My wife threatens to cook with it and probably, based on today, will do. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good showcase, isn't it, of uh, what does grow in the city. We do get an awful lot of apples, crab apples. Pears I've not seen quite so much, but there are various streets where you'd see a torrent of crushed fruit across oh. the floor. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I think the rats do very well this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> and you have, a, you have a good following, you have good regulars come along as well. Yes, oh yeah. Yeah, mm. some people just come every week pretty much, don't they, mm. when they're around. We miss them when they go on holiday. Yes, that's right. It, it becomes a very sociable uh, thing for the neighbourhood. Our neighbours just come and buy the fruits and they stay for a chat. I think it's wonderful. You know, it sort of brings the community together as well and we get to enjoy lovely fresh fruits and make money for the Queen Eater Food Hub. And so nice to know that all of the food is locally grown. Yes. It really cuts out all of those food miles. So um, what can I sell you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got a pound. I've got a pound on me. What does that buy? You can have a Victoria plum. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Great. You're welcome. See you later. <laughs> that was Susan and Steve selling fresh fruit on Kinnaird Way and sending all of their profits to the Queen Eaters Food Hub. And they will be at their stall right now if you're listening to our live Saturday broadcast. Steve also tells me that in November they'll be having a special one-off stall where they will have a much wider variety of apples and pears available, all for the good cause. And that music signals time for the news from social media, beginning with Twitter. OK, we've only got time for a couple today. The Maypole Pub has tweeted about its Sunday roast, where you can get a choice of roast pork belly, traditional roast beef or nut roast, with all the trimmings, along with veg, roast potatoes and Yorkshire put for 18.50. And it's the fifth annual Bicycle Blessing on Sunday morning at 11. <laughs> Following the 10am Choral Eucharist, you can get your bicycle blessed in the churchyard of Great St Mary's, next to the market, and have some coffee and cake to go with it. Sounds a bit bonkers, perhaps, but is the only way to ensure that your bike goes to heaven. OK, time for some more news now. And if wine tasting is your thing, then there is a regular schedule of them over at the Wine Rooms on Hills Road. They've got over 500 wines in stock. Each wine tasting event costs £30 per person. For that, you get four wines and food. The next tasting is called Unexplored France. That's on the 29th of September. After that, it's a white Bordeaux blend evening on the 6th of October. There's plenty more as well, and you don't have to pretend to be a wine buff to go to these events. Everybody is welcome. You just need to book a ticket, which you can do via their website, thewinerooms.cambridge.com. 
Also, the wine rooms are now hosting the Wine and Spirit Education Trust Level 1 and 2 wine courses from their cellar room, courtesy of the Cambridge Wine Academy, run by Steve Hovington, who has been on our programme several times over the years, displaying his wine knowledge and we know many fans of his course. His WSET Level 2 starts on October the 9th and it's a look at the best-known wines of the world via variety and region. It's a great way to boost your knowledge. Tickets for the WSET White Course are available again via the winerooms.cambridge.com. On the 27th of September, Cambridge wine merchants have a tasting of English sparkling wine at 7pm. Now that's at the Cherry Hinton Road branch and it's £35 per person. Also, on the 11th of October, at the Bridge Street branch, they're holding a Penfolds Masterclass. Now, Penfolds are one of the oldest Australian wine growers. They regularly earn top marks from people like Parkers and Jancis Robinson. This event will explore the Penfolds range, and at a cost of £39 per person, you will get to taste seven Penfolds wines, along with nibbles. The event is hosted by a Penfolds representative, and to book, you can just email bridge at cambridgewine.com. Meanwhile, over at Amphora, the wine shop on Devonshire Road, they have their own wine tastings. Their next one is on the 28th September. It focuses on, on northern and southern Rhone regions. For £35, you get a minimum of six wines with matched cheeses and snacks. To book a place, just head over onto amphoracambridge.com. And another series of events hosted at Amphora is Meet the Winemaker. It does what it says on the tin. Their next one is October the 12th and features Alberto Guieri from Marche in central Italy. He's young, he looks like a movie star and is a sixth generation in a family of winemakers. From sparkling Biancello, intense whites to full-bodied juicy reds, he'll take you on a tour of his life. And his Guieri wines are all available to Amphora. Yeah, and not to be outdone, Great Britannia on Arbury Road have a selection of events too. As their name suggests, they focus on British-made wines. Now, on the 5th of October, they're hosting an evening sampling six distinctive English wines from Heritage Vines, originally planted back in the 1960s and 70s. The night is called Heritage Homage and costs £20. Tickets are available from their website, greatbritannia.co.uk. And that is all our news for today. Well, for our final feature today, we delve into Cambridge's past. Several years ago, Alan met with local historian Becky Proctor to discuss how and where you could get your food in the old days where everything was in black and white and how several streets in Cambridge are named after the foods that were sold in them. And the surprising news is that Pease Hill is not named after Pease. Until relatively recently, Cambridge was a very small market town and the market was the centre of everything, as much in 1950 as it had been in 1201 when it was given its first charter, I believe. We just celebrated our 800th anniversary, didn't we, not that long ago. And interestingly, of course, all the streets that run off of it are then also connected with the market. And at one time in you know, medieval times, certain streets... Um, and certain parts of the market would sell a particular thing. So if you've been to York, you would probably walked along the shambles. Now, the shambles is an old word for, like, a butcher's row, and Cambridge had its own butcher's row. Petit Curie, they think, stands for Little Cook's Row. Market Street used to be called Cordwainer Row. 
Shoemaker's Row. So you see that actually the centre of town was all about trade, and of course mm. most of that was food. And um, Pease Hill. Pease Hill is one of my favourite fascinating facts about Cambridge. It's the old fish market, and there's some really lovely old photographs that you can see showing the old stalls there and um, the old uh, but why, fish But why Pease in that case? And, ah, and in indeed. fact, why Hill? Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll deal with the Pease bit first. The Latin for fish market is Piscari. Some or pesca, you know, the, yes, the, the fish. See, so it's probably right. just a very a bad Cambridge pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. And Pease Hill, hundreds of years ago, it would have been a bit more obvious that they, they were hills. All that area is very important for the history of food, the old markets. Some of your listeners may remember that Petty Curie had a Dewhurst butcher's, a lion's tea shop, coffee shop, and the old McFisheries fish shop was known because it had a sort of a big fish tank in the window. And uh, oh, so still. When, when did that Disappear then, it, really, I mean, obviously, 1970, around that time, that was when all of, you know, well, half of Petit Curie was pulled down and the Red Lion went. So that's mm. the big change. But certainly up until 1970, a lot of people are going to be doing their shopping right in the centre of town, as people had done for hundreds of years, and that, that all changed. Um, and, of course, then there were the, um, the annual markets that you had in Cambridge and Sturbridge Fair which is where Sturbridge Common is, if you've been to the Museum of Technology and the big Tesco's, that area. I suppose it's quite ironic that the big Tesco's is there, isn't it? That would have been an absolute massive fair in September every year. And there's this wonderful description of it in Daniel Defoe's um, tour through the whole island of Great Britain. And that's about the 1720s he visited Cambridge. And I always say, he talks about Cambridge in about a paragraph or two. He talks about three pages worth about Sturbridge Fair. He was really impressed by it. And the only clues we have to this amazing big fair are the street names that are left. So we've got Oyster Row, Cheddar's Lane and Garlic Row. There must, I mean, there are still now some little local bakeries in Cambridge. The Norfolk Street Bakery, owned by a, a Portuguese woman, and there's the Newnham Bakery, and there's Dorrington's in Arbury. That's there? right, yeah. But presumably there must have been, in every little area, there must have been... Several, there would have been several bakeries. I guess that's what England and Britain as a whole has lost. We don't go and shop locally. But, of course, so many sort of, um, you know, people work you know nine to five it's very difficult to go shopping you know that depends on a very different kind of family and living structure usually you know mm. women having the time to go shopping and of course lots of tradesmen had boys who would then deliver in the same way that Arkwright's shop in open all hours he had granville used to go around on the bike you know but this is at a time when labor was cheaper so you can have all these small local shops providing your food Mm. Now that's sort of impossible, I suppose. The only similar thing is you've got um, the online shopping, you know, where it's dropped at your door. So mm. I certainly think, yes, that there is something that we've lost and it's always such a joy, isn't it, when you go on France, to France on holiday and you see that they still buy their bread from a small bakery and it tastes so good. Yes, it is. But really, things started changing a long time ago and yeah. um, we probably can't go back. It's just great that people are starting up small bakeries and trying to uh, bring something back because of course you know all these terms you know locally sourced organic in the past it wasn't necessary because all food mm -hmm. all food was local. <laughs> pretty much local. although some sourced. of the fish i mean you talked about the fish at pease hill and the mac fisheries in petty curie i mean that would have come yeah. from the sea or there'd be some river fish as well so there was some importation of course from there. yes and in the past because they couldn't guarantee the freshness of food then lots of people certainly throughout the winter months so you know january 
they would have been eating pickles, they would have been eating salted meat and salted fish. So good old herring, which I like, yes, would I have do. been a staple. Yeah. Um, and I think that, w- you know, we forget that, that people didn't have fresh food throughout the year. They would have been eating an awful lot. Yeah. I, th- I think probably, you know, the, the basis of British culture is probably pickles. <laughs> I think more mm. people should eat pickles. What's the story about... Milk from a bull. Milk from a bull. Well, you can still see it. Um, you go down Hills Road and there's a beautifully repainted sign on, on the side of one of the shops and it says, Bull's Dairy. And their little sort of slogan they had at the time was, the only place you can get milk from a bull. So some of these old shops had these wonderful sort of painted adverts on the side of the... Some of them are, sort of have been repainted recently. I know that there's a pub in Histon, the Red Lion, that's had one repainted. And um, there was a, a very famous grocer's store, which was in Trinity Street. I think I've got the right shop. I think it was where Heifer's bookshop is now. And Matthews and Sons Grocers was apparently an absolute delight. One of those places you walked in and you got that smell of coffee. You would go to, um, you know, one counter and they would slice you and then you've got your butter from another counter in the same way that the old Sainsbury's which was on sort of the join of St Andrew Street and Sydney Street that was a similar kind of shop so full of wonderful smells you had to queue up at each different counter again linking to the fact that we don't have time to do that anymore and have our food sort of properly wrapped and exact amount sort of uh, weighed out for us so when did that go well certainly in the Matthews and Sons grocer shop I I think would probably was there until the 60s, but um, I may have got that wrong. But there's, yeah, I think a few of them went in the 60s, yeah. actually. Yes, Cambridge really experienced the same kind of changes in the 60s and 70s as most sort of market towns and big cities did around the country. I don't think it was unusual in that. Perhaps in Cambridge it lasted a little bit longer because we've got the presence of the colleges and a, perhaps a slightly slower pace of life. For, for slightly longer. But yeah, Matthews and Sons is, is very well known. And I think um, a descendant of the Matthews family has written a very interesting book about her ancestors' shop. And certainly something which I remember when I was um, still a teenager in Rose Crescent, you may remember the Cambridge Health Food Shop. Uh-huh. Very old fashioned type of place. And again, they would weigh out certain amounts of what you wanted and had been in, I think, one family for an awful, awful long time. Yeah. It's a pity to lose these. Right. And all that expertise, because that's the other thing. These are people who would have known about what they were selling um, well i mean people a lot of people on the market stall really are experts yeah. in what they're selling and a lot of the people who set up their own little businesses you know they're not employed by somebody else to do it it is their yeah. business and they really are so i don't think we've lost that entirely it might not be as prevalent as it used to be but there still is a lot of expertise about i think if you if you know where to look and local brewers will tell you you know the details of what hops they've used and so on in their beers so and, of course, beer is something that's very close to my heart because I always say beer's in my blood. On one side of my family, they were publicans, and there were several publicans in the family. The reason I exist, really, is because they came and ran the mill by the mill pond. They were originally from Suffolk, so they, that's when they came to Cambridge. So when would that have been? I think they came here around 1918, something like that. I haven't yeah. been able to find out exactly, but yeah. that's on my father's side. And then on my mother's side, several of the family worked for the Bailey and Tebbets Brewery. Now all that's left of that is the old taproom, which is the Panton Arms. But there would have been in a massive, big sort of brewery round the back. And, um, and that was then taken over by Green King in the 20s, along with all the other Bailey and Tebbets pubs. You know, they they worked in beer for a long time. (laughs) Well, there must have been an awful lot of local pubs that no longer exist. I mean, one of the things about the part of Cambridge we're in now, in Gwider Street, there still are quite a lot of local pubs, aren't there? I mean, Gwider Street still has two. There's obviously Kingston Street has one, and a lot of the 
uh, nearby streets have their own pub. But that must have been even more true in the past. Absolutely. You really would have had sort of a pub on every corner. And any area with lots of working people, so Romsey Town had lots of pubs and uh, this area around Gwider Street because there were lots of railway workers who lived here. And also, very important road, Newmarket Road, had lots and lots of pubs. In 1905, around that time, a lady was writing a study of Cambridge conditions of the labouring classes. And one of the things she was very worried about was the amount of pubs. So she counted a particular area. She counted an area of uh, Newmarket Road and she said if you counted the pubs left and right on both sides mm. of the street, she said there was a pub every 22 yards in a particular stretch. An interesting part of my family were lived just alongside that, so I'm very proud. But there were lots of pubs, but Newmarket Road was the working heart of Cambridge. It had you know brickworks it had uh, the gas works and working was thirsty work and if you think about it over 100 years ago you couldn't just go and get a bottle of evian when you were a bit thirsty you drank beer because it was safe to drink and that's why lots of pubs are in working areas and so yes undoubtedly lots of working people spent too much money on beer you know out of a you know very meager wages that they they earned but you could probably imagine why they would want a pint in, you know, overcrowded houses, lots of children. Did pubs serve food as well? They did serve food. You will find uh, records in sort of old diaries of, you know, people mentioning going to pubs and having meals there. So it would be uh, very British kind of stuff, very meaty, lots of sausages, veal chops, that kind of thing. So, mm. of course, the Cambridge Chop House that you mentioned earlier, they're certainly trying to revive a tradition of, of eating, as I said, chops. And well, also, I mean, there used to be meat and oyster pies, didn't it, they? Indeed. You know, a combination of beef and oysters, well, for example. Oysters were the poor man's food. So, I mean, I mentioned um, Oyster Row when we were talking about uh, Sturbridge Fair because, one, the oysters were eaten at the opening ceremony. That was part of the ceremony, so... They ate enormous amounts of oysters. But generally, you would have seen oysters served on stools at any kind of fair or market. It was the poor man's food. Mm. Well, what a pity it isn't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Great. OK, well, thanks very much, Becky. Thank Bye. you. Well, that was fascinating. If any of our listeners have any memories about Cambridge's food history, either their own memories or things they heard from parents or grandparents, we'd be really interested. You can contact us via our email address, flavour105fm at gmail.com. And there's Green Onion signalling the start of our job section, and we begin with Steak and Honour. They're hiring for full and part-time positions available at their vans and at their shop. So if you're interested, just send them an email to hello at steakandhonour.co.uk. Not a paid job, this one, but a request for help. The Edge Cafe, so-called because it's near the bottom end of Mill Road, are looking for volunteers, one to manage the food hub during opening times and another who can pick up food from supermarket donors after hours. The Edge is a great community cafe. They've been open five years, make lovely homemade food and are staffed by people in recovery who are turning their lives around. If you think you can help them, head over to theedgecafecambridge.com and click on Volunteers with Vehicles Urgently Needed. Cambridge Sustainable Food need directors to help achieve gold city status in food sustainability and climate action. So, if you have fundraising, development, HR or financial planning experience, then contact Anne Mitchell via their website, cambridgesustainablefood.org forward slash jobs. Darwin College is looking for a barista for its cafe. Pay is 22,500 per year plus bonuses. 
St Catharines need a casual chef to assist the head chef delivering all meals in the college. You'll be joining the team just as they're moving to a new multi-million pound kitchen. Pay is £15.50 per hour with free lunch and training opportunities. You can apply via their website, caths.cam.ac.uk. Trinity College needs a chef de partie. You'll need an NVQ Level 2 or 3 in catering or equivalent and a certificate in food hygiene. It's full-time, 28k plus a generous benefits package. Apply via the website trin.cam.ac.uk slash vacancies. Now, this next couple of jobs can be found on the website uk.indeed.com and you can make any applications through there. The Cambridge Oven on Hills Road is looking for a baker. You'll prepare pastries, cake mixtures and make and finish flour confectionery products by hand. Now, you must have a baker's or pastry chef qualification along with a couple of years' experience and be able to use your loaf. It's full-time and the pay is 28000 and finally, the Prince Regent on Regent Street are looking for a chef for their recently refurbished kitchen with pension, life assurance in case you spontaneously combust on the job and friends and family discount. They didn't post a wage, so maybe you just do it for the love like we do. <laughs> and that takes us to the end of our programme for today. Don't forget that we are here on alternate Saturdays at 12 noon, repeated on Mondays at 6pm and Thursdays at 2pm. We'll also be available via podcast early next week. Coming up on Cambridge Radio 105 today at 1pm is Cambridge Arts Roundup and at 2pm Sue Marchant's Selection. But that's all from us. We'll be back on the 8th of October with lots more food and drink, news, jobs and features. But until then, goodbye. goodbye.